0: This is Family Office Intel at Denton's, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actual ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the Modern Family Office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. The following is a conversation with Greg Meck. Greg, thanks for joining today
1: thanks for having me eddie
0: so greg is an advisor at Camp Rock. that's a multi-family office based in california but greg has got clients all over the country and all over the world he's mm-hmm. a former former managing director at merrill lynch uh he also was responsible for running all of client strategy for the western region of of merrill lynch before that he's also had numerous uh, other roles uh, in, in his career uh, he was founded Emacs Partners, a virtual advisory firm. He also helped develop Silver Lakes Park, one of the largest youth soccer fields, uh, and serves over 1.5 million athletes a year. He's also a graduate of Northwestern University. So, Greg, let's let's kick things off. How did you get your start working with families and and uh, family offices and family businesses?
1: So it, it was interesting. I started in the business in 1981 um, and uh, advising clients. And very quickly, you know, really began to understand that the uh, importance of family dynamics in, in managing any portfolio isn't as important as returns. And uh, so I kind of just sort of navigated and, and was attracted to the, the whole family discussion. And it's become an important part of the work we do with our families today.
0: Right, and and when you navigate that that discussion, I can imagine there's a lot of different uh, discussions going on. People at different stages of where they are, uh, as part of it, where where does that typically happen for you? Do you find it as somebody's growing their business and they're generating and they're about to have uh, some sort of transition uh, to the next generation or transition of the business elsewhere? Walk us through kind of an example of what that typically looks like for you and your conversation.
1: Well, it would be optimal if we can do it earlier than when a family is facing a transaction or a transition. However, um, most of the urgency ends up happening when um, a realization is about to occur. Um, that said, the, the other piece of this is as clients get older, um the importance of having the conversations with other family members about sort of what their hopes and dreams are all about um, also takes kind of an, an an urgency around it. So we talk a lot about what matters most to the families that we serve. It's kind of that's sort of the principle that we start every conversation with. And it's interesting how many families can't tell you what matters most. I mean, a lot of times it's you know the health of their family, the health of themselves. Um, making sure that the, the wealth they've accumulated doesn't harm their children in any way. But um, what, what it really distills down to, Eddie, that we've found is that if if a family or an individual understands their values, they can really start to craft a mission around passing their values on as well as their wealth. And and, and that's probably, from what I've seen, the families who are most successful transitioning wealth between generations it's probably the most important gift they can give their families i was just going to give you a good example i have a a client he's a wonderful man um he has built an incredible operating business and we were sitting down together and i said okay now what i said what does this all mean and how are you going to communicate this to your family and he goes well i don't know Um, And so we chatted about it for a while. I said, why don't you write your family a letter and talk about where you started, where you came from, what your hopes are, what your values are, and um, just kind of start to pull together a story that you can share with with your family members so that they understand why you did what you did and how you got here. And so he left. Um, I thought, you know maybe he was going to take some time with this. Next morning at eight o'clock, my phone rings. He asks, are you in the office? I said, yes, I am. He said, I'm coming up. He had a seven page letter that he'd written to his families, which was one of the most beautiful things I've ever read in, in all my years doing this. Uh, it was just extraordinary. But he talked about how hard it was and how his wife supported him and all the lessons he learned along the way. And then his hopes and dreams for his children and their grand and his grandchildren. So, it's it's really rewarding work, Eddie, um, and and it's this this whole notion of being able to understand your values really is a critical factor when you're talking about transitioning wealth. So it's certainly remarkable to have a for anybody to pen
0: that type of a letter, but I would imagine not all clients are inclined to to be in that and need a little bit more structure around that. So how do you have those conversations around? Motivations, uh, vulnerabilities—the things that get people out of bed in the morning, that keep them up at night—and and intertwine that into values. Like, uh, other than saying what's next, how can you help? Uh, and how have you seen families effectively navigate those kinds of conversations?
1: There, there are all sorts of stories. It's it's interesting. I attend a lot of, of conferences and, and have throughout my career. And, and when everybody talks about transitioning family wealth, they talk a lot about structures and tax planning and uh, rules and guidance and those things, which is something you guys are, are expert at in, in, the, in the planning stages. But the thing that gets missed in my mind is the discussions about if, if, if we're going to talk about preparing errors, what are we preparing them for? Um, are they being prepared to step into the role of the patriarch or the matriarch who's running a business? Are we preparing them for financial literacy, or are we preparing them to, you know, be contributing members of society and responsible, you know, for for their lives? Um, that's one of the things I think is has been really interesting about sort of what we do. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Roy Williams who wrote the wrote the book Preparing Heirs, and he was just he's really kind of captured a lot of this. He passed away a few years ago, but he was really one of the great greats in in this space. And he told me the story once of of a gentleman who had hired him. His the gentleman's wife had passed away, and he wanted to have a discussion about passing his wealth on to his two adult daughters who were in their fifties. And Royce and I began the meeting and said, look, here's what we're here to do. And I noticed the body language from one of the girls was, you know, her arms are crossed and she didn't look very happy. And he said, is there a problem? And she said, I don't know why I'm here. He doesn't love us. Um, and so he said, that's how the meeting kicked off. And he goes, why do you think he's never loved you? And the woman said, well, because he's never hugged me. Roy turned, Roy, by the way, played for the San Francisco 49ers. He's a big guy. And he turned to this gentleman and he said, is that true? He goes, well, I'm sure I've hugged her in the past. And he goes, well, hug her right now. And the guy said, I'm not comfortable with that. Roy said, well, then hug me. (laughs) Roy stood up towering over the guy, made him hug him. And then he went and hugged his daughter and, and the walls were broken down. So it can show up in so many different ways, Eddie. And, and, and I think that's, what's really interesting about this, but you have to have trust or reliability in the conversation. And yet you have to be effectively communicating to really get to this because these are vulnerabilities and people really, it, it, it it is difficult sometimes to kind of pull that out.
0: I think that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting story. Uh, And it it really comes down to. Not just the financial piece of it, but also the psychological elements and how do you weave those in? Because some of it could be as simple as saying, hey, you know, I, I'd like you to be more open with us. But some of those things could be even deeper issues that a family is facing more, more along the, the lines of where another kind of professional might want to step in. And how do you integrate that into that? I, I don't know if you've had experiences of having to work through things like that.
1: We have, and it, it, it's really, about, again, about having the conversations with the family and the best way to to address the needs of every individual who's involved um, in, in, the, in the family dynamic, essentially. And, and sometimes, um, you know, those aren't easy conversations. They're, you know, they're conversations about drug addiction and rehab right. and, and things like that. So, and then how do you manage that on a go forward basis for a family? So, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing how these family dynamics can work, but going back to sort of what works best is, is the more families can communicate and the earlier they can communicate with their, their, the entirety of their families and talk about their values. I mean, that really sets the tone because. Values, values actually determine what actions or you take or actions you don't take, and those actions determine impact and results, and and the impact and results determine a family's future. So, when you, when you start to think through how powerful that is, um, it it can I think it really does create a successful transition plan. It also depends on how. Each
0: family's defining success as they're trying to figure out that that transition and, and what what comes down to what you said earlier is what's next does there have to be a next how does that next look like what does what does all of this that we've created mean all of this wealth all of these resources whether it was something quick uh, in a, in a earlier uh, type of opportunity or they built it over a 20 30 40 year, Period or multiple generations. I I imagine your conversations that you've had have really with families have really uh, uh, it, it matters on where they are on on that spectrum. How <laughs> have you seen families have effective conversations around not just their personal values, but what is now they've had a liquidity event, now they've done something. Uh, or even before a liquidity event, right? They're just they've 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 done well in their successful family business, family enterprise. Uh, how do you talk to them or how do they talk to their families
1: around meaning of wealth? what what does this wealth mean? That's a pretty wide spectrum. Um, I had a a conversation with a family who'd had a transaction, but they weren't going to tell their children that they'd had the transaction or what the extent of that, of the value of the wealth was in the transaction. They just weren't going to tell them. Um, and they were both in their sixties. Is this pre-internet and- or post-internet? <laughs> this was post-internet.
0: This was not that long ago. Not and, not that hard sometimes you know, to find out what that number actually
1: is. Well, and, and, and that's right. I mean, when you have multiple homes and you know, some of the trappings of the wealthy kids can figure it out and certainly you can, you can find things out on the internet. So, um, but, but you have people who aren't, who don't want to have the conversation. And then you have people who are really, really focused on how what's the best way to do this and thinking through a process around this that respects the individuals who are involved. Each one of, you know, I had three kids and and they're all remarkably different. And that's within any family, you're going to see differences in terms of how, how they're gonna to respond to, to conversations and to discussions like this. So the more that the family can be together talking about what matters most to each of them, and there's really active listening happening, um, it, those tend to, to, to work the best. There's also the my way or the highway uh, kind of planning that can occur. Um, those transactions or transitions rather work are, are, are less good
0: and I heard an interesting story from a family that said you know it took us four or five generations to give you know to fully understand that we don't give birth to private equity professionals it's not a, <laughs> a, a and and once they did that uh, there's a lot of light bulbs that went off of of how to, um, how they're how to manage the wealth and how to manage the businesses and investments that a family was doing but it, I I uh, I enjoy your point about you know different strengths and weaknesses uh, and just a, an interest let alone ability in in doing different things with the family um, how do you do that though when you have different levels of interest different levels of ability and diff- and a family trying to think of how to involve all the different, uh, kids, if they should be involved in the business, how how should how have you seen families uh, tackle that really challenging question?
1: It's um, it takes a long time, and it's a lot of conversations. Um, I usually start, especially in sort of a um, mother father. Uh, at the at the top of the house, um, I generally interview the kids first and I spend a lot of time trying to understand what's important to them. Yeah, and w- when we do that first, it is interesting because a lot of of children of successful parents are worried about how they're going to measure up and do they have to be just like their parents in order to be accepted there's there's a lot of that tension that goes on. And to the extent that, one understands what they're passionate about or what they care about. Um, it, it's really more about that than it is, okay, well, how am I gonna fit in? Do I need to manage my family's money? How do I do that? And and part of this preparation is to help the children discover their unique place in the world and, and actually have them find their own legitimacy versus being in, defined by the family wealth necessarily those kind of transitions work really really well
0: i Um, i sometimes think uh answering the the question of or just the statement of just because we can doesn't mean that we should right doing different functions (laughs) within a family office or whether doing it in-house or or externally so uh, interesting to hear your your thoughts
1: on that it's interesting too because some kids are really adept at the business and want to go in the business um and And they're very good at it. Uh, but again, just making sure that um, all the all the constituencies or the voices in the constituency are heard. Um, I, I think that's that's the most important piece. Um, and that that the entire family actually participates and has permission to speak up around, you know, sort of what's important to them as well. So
0: you say voice is being heard. We live in an age of very uh, hyper-fast communication in multiple different forms. Uh, how do you balance that across all the different constituencies that are in the family of how to use communication effectively, whether it's digital, whether it's in person, and finding all the different balances of uh, how a family works? Because, you know, when, if a family's, Two or three people or five people it's easier than when they're 15 or 20 and you've got other other elements that are there and you layer on top of that uh, the business of the family or, a, or or a family business uh there's a lot of things that could get in the way of effectively communicating
1: yeah th- that's really a, a commitment of time um on on their part um Family meetings always work really, really well, as long as they're well curated, brings everybody together. You can actually see them in person. You can see body language, you can, um, it, it just is, is a much uh, more informed uh, communication venue. But all that said, um, having a Zoom call or a conversation or even a telephone conversation with someone. Uh, about some of the concerns they might have that they weren't comfortable bringing up in in the family broadly, we can bring that to the table on their behalf. So um, and then there there are others that just sort of pre- prefer to be communicated with in one way or another. that's just a preference piece. but being but being in person, I mean, I know some some great legacy families who have one hundred and twenty people come to their family meetings. I mean, it's extraordinary. And um, you know, there's a there's a real thread of commitment, mostly philanthropic in this family's case, about everyone working together, kind of on on, on kind of a common goal.
0: So you mentioned the uh, you you mentioned their unique uh, unique communication styles and the commitment of time that's needed. For uh, effective communication in a family, but what about when you look at all the the ability for the next generation to build their own identity and find out who they are and how they fit into things? How, how can you and how have you seen families do that well?
1: Yeah, I, I I think it goes it goes back to this whole notion of values in my mind. Um, and it's it's not talking about the money. It's talking about okay, how do you become a responsible, contributing citizen of the world? And that may be you know you might want to be a musician. Um, someone else might want to work for the nature conservancy. Uh, it, it's it's any and all of those things. But again, it goes back to that whole notion of communication and trust, and 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 being permitted to talk about what was important to them. And again, it goes back to listening to each individual uh, member of the family so that there's an understanding that their voice is heard. I'm going to say that probably another three or four times before we're done talking today. Um, if, if they're, if they can be heard uh, and respected now, there I'm going to say that. And then there are, there are also the harebrained ideas that come out too, which need to be managed. Um, but if, if, if there is an active listening factor in here, um, the needs of those folks can be managed. And I think that makes it more effective, um, that they develop their own unique identity outside sort of the bubble of the family wealth constellation.
0: And it's a seat at the table, Uh, right? It's that skin that it's a total, that's, that's well, much better said, Eddie. Some involvement in it. And everyone feels like everyone's got a little bit of skin in the game and it's, Uh, but you know, it can be hard if a family has been building something and they, you know, they've, they've, they've got that piece to it and they've, they've built it, uh, over a 20, 30 year long period. Some of those transitions are hard. Some of them don't happen as easily as, uh, you know, as a, as a formulaic response, we, we would say like of how a succession should happen. What, um. When it doesn't happen well, what does it look like? And what are some of those things? That are, is it really just comes down to the things that we talked about earlier in terms of lack of commitment of time, lack of communication, lack of having a seat at the
1: table, or, or are there other elements as well? Well, I think I, I think I would add lack of trust to that. There, there's, not a, there's not a comfort that there's going to be reliability in what's communicated. I mean, I think that and and this is part of the industry's um, problem in advising families is that you know nine times out of ten or maybe nine and a half times out of ten, the first move when we talk about wealth transition is to assume that financial education of heirs is the primary and most important thing, and it can be, uh, but most of the time. Um, you can't assume that all next gen inheritors are going to have the same needs and objectives and and priorities so it, it it's very labor intensive to do this kind of work and it it takes a lot of time but when it fails it's usually failing because there's a there's a, a dictate or there's no hearing um uh, of needs or anything like that it's just okay look this is the way it's going to be Age 35, you're going to get this much money. Age 45, you're going to get this much money. Um, and good luck. Don't screw it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think when you try to make it too black and white uh, and dictate the terms, it, it can be challenging, especially if you have a consideration where families built that wealth pretty quickly uh, and uh, over a um, over a period versus a, a longer kind of you know, build up uh, to to something like that, or a multi generational family. Um, okay. Well, you know, my last question for you is one around lessons learned. What is if you had to pick one or two lessons uh, that you know and things that you know today that you wish you had known? back when you got started in the
1: biz of working with families, what what would that be? That's a great question. I think the most important lesson I've learned with families is that even with the best laid plans, um, things don't always go as you hope they will. Mm-hmm. And to, to create an openness, um, and 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 an ability to help the families prepare for contingencies and and have a reliability of the family unit i've used that word before in this conversation reliability is really important when you're a child you're relying on your parents to make sure you're fed clothed and sheltered that reliability carries on for the rest of their life so If if I can communicate one thing to the families that I work with, it's how do you create that liability, that comfort, um, and that confidence? Because that allows the the children to to actually find that legitimacy legitimacy in life that they want to have. Um, But you know, it's uh, even in in the best families, tragedies can happen, and. How, how do you make sure that everybody continues to be um, embraced in the family unit? Uh, a lot of that comes from this notion of reliability. Thanks, Greg. And uh, if folks want to get a hold of you, how should they do it? Uh, my email is mech G R E G M E C H, at caprock.com. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Greg. And th- Eddie thanks for your time today no
0: it was great th- you know, and thank you uh, everyone else for, for listening in if you'd like to get in touch with Greg you have his contact info, info otherwise you can send us an email at familyoffice@dentons.com. if you enjoyed today's conversation or so inclined please subscribe to the channel review us on Apple Podcasts follow us on Spotify or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts uh As always, sharing this episode is very much appreciated and probably the best way that you can show your support. To sign up for our newsletters and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, do check out our website. That is dentons.com forward slash family office. Well, that's it. Bye, everyone.